just hop into this and uh, cool. want to sit down, rap with you a little bit about uh, about bikes because sweet, been following you forever. Um, social media, Strava, and all kinds of stuff. And uh, I know that you work for a lot of companies, and you're quite knowledgeable with the industry in general. Um, and so, uh, thought it'd be great to sit down and talk with you. <clears throat> totally. Um, we'll start by. Uh, well, what's your name, I guess? That'd be good so people can know who we're talking to. I'm Dylan. Dylan Stuckey. Okay. Yep. Not a real popular last name. You don't hear, not a lot of Stuckeys. Is there a lot of Stuckeys? Not, not really. Well, funny enough, this is a crazy story. <laughs> so, I grew up in Gunnison, Colorado. Mm. And, yeah, like you said, Stuckey is not, like, a particularly popular name in the United States. But apparently, it's a pretty popular, like, Swiss-German name. And there's like, it's almost like the Smith of Swiss Germany. Mm. So there's more Stukies out there, I guess. But uh, so I grew up in Gunnison, Colorado. And like I moved out to Utah a bunch of, or a few years ago for a job and mm. went to St. George a bunch when I was living out there. And there's a Gunnison, Utah oh. on your way to St. George from the Salt Lake area. Okay. Which is kind of a crazy coincidence. Like I knew about that town. But the weird thing is, you go to St. George and there's a trail called Stuckey Springs. And so I was like, that's super weird. I gotta figure out what that is all about. And I like kinda did a little bit of looking into it and there's like another Stuckey family wow. in Gunnison, Utah. Like, <laughs> just holding, it, just down holding it down out there. Like, I have no idea, it's super random, but yeah. Like, same town, same name, super small, like, middle of nowhere. And, uh, yeah, they, like, I guess they're, like, a big yeah. name out there. Like, enough to have a trail named after them Bam, in St. George. Cool. So, yeah. So, so you grew up, uh, born in Gunnison? Uh, Steamboat, actually. Okay, Steamboat. But, yeah, place. like, pretty much spent my whole life in Gunnison, like, okay. from fourth grade on. So, mountain biking so. since... You could walk, or did that come later? Yeah, pretty much. Like, I always rode bikes growing up a ton, and my dad was a big mountain bike racer in the 80s. Like, he rode for Moots, and uh, yeah, so like, he was always into it, and so we had bikes around, and we're always riding and hanging out, and like, you know, riding around the hood, and then like, getting a little older, started to get into a little bit of mountain bike racing, mm -hmm. um, you know, when I was probably like 12, 13. Nice. That age. Um, but yeah, like no, nothing like kids these days. Strider bikes and all Isn't kinds of that. You know, it's like yeah. pretty sweet. You still kind of got a little bit of a neighborhood, kind of just goofing off the neighborhood. Yep. Not taking it too serious. Yeah, totally. We had a couple of buddies, you know, and we just rage around on the BMX bikes and actually rode like a fair bit of trials growing up too. Because <laughs> I had this aunt or like second cousin who was like a US trials rider and she was like real badass and uh she kind of just got us into riding trials and so we did that like we'd go to all the mountain states well actually before mountain states cup races there was uh the um colorado off-road point series the corpse series and they had races like in del norte and durango and gunnison it was like it's like a pretty big series um and they had trials events at all of them so we would like do the cross country race like little kids and then do the trials events and yeah. So yeah, pretty much grew up riding bikes and skiing in the winter, doing Colorado things. 
That's weird that stuff kind of died down. I, that sounds like something that would have just grown. Where do you think, uh, I don't want to get too far off topic, but that sounds sick and those locations are awesome. That's got to come back someday. I, mean, I don't know. It's yeah. I think so. I, I think like... That was mostly cross-country stuff, I'm assuming. Yeah, so it was like back in those days, like it was all traditional mountain bike race style stuff. So you'd have like, and some of the races were uh, like stage races or some, yeah. So you'd have to do like the cross-country, the downhill and the trials event. Mm. Like if you went to the race, is like part of the event is to do all of them. And then you get this like this overall score. Yeah, exactly. So it was like pretty interesting format to when they had everyone doing that stuff. And I don't know like how many of those there were, but yeah, back in those days, it was like the Olympic events or, you know, whatever the, yeah. the national level events were. It was like cross country, downhill and trials. And like they had event, like those categories at every event. And yeah, the Corp series was huge. Like. And I think it just started, like, it was definitely on its way out, like, when I was growing up, which is interesting. So I kind of grew up in this, like, weird bubble yeah. of mountain bike culture, because, like, it's the only kid in Gunnison, really, a couple of my friends rode a little bit, but not a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and I was pretty much the only one who, like, rode mountain bikes seriously. Okay. And like come down here for Colorado State Championships and there would be like eight of us that raced. Wow. And you know, like last year they had state champs here and there was like 1,500 kids. Wow. So it, I kind of grew up in this weird bubble where like not much was happening in racing and not much was happening. Like all the Norba stuff was dying off and like not much was happening and not many people were mountain biking, and now we're seeing this like huge surge again. Yeah, it kind of which plateaued. is awesome. And then now you got this. Uh, yeah, I'm guessing it's just technology. Um, wheels are changing. Yeah. Suspensions changing. Geometry is changing. Yeah, um, I mean, I think like bikes have become more like accessible for people, mm -hmm. and like they're not just purpose built for some race purpose. Like, you know. It'd probably be pretty hard to convince someone to go mountain biking if they had to ride an 80 mil front travel hardtail, you know, or like a fully rigid mountain bike because like that doesn't sound very fun. But now we have, you know, five, six inch travel trail bikes and that's actually super fun, like from day one, you know, like if you can ride a bike, like it's actually pretty comfortable. It's not like that awkward and you learn pretty quickly and you start having fun probably sooner than yeah. back in the day when that was all you had really, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think like that's probably a big reason why there's more and more people getting into mountain biking is the bikes are so much better yeah, and just so much more fun. But also like just a bunch of people putting in time with junior development programs yeah. and like seeing a need for alternative sport options in like mountain towns and you know like even where you guys are at like just get filtering kids into a, a different sport that isn't you know football basketball baseball yeah you know like using the natural world around you and recreating that way and i think the other thing about that too is like mountain biking is such a lifetime sport like you're only going to play football as long as you're on a football team so yep. you know yeah and then once you grow one percent of, of like, those yeah 
What are you so, gonna do? Yeah, like once you finish high school, you know, maybe you'll go to college, but not likely you're gonna play college football. It's yeah. pretty slim. And, and then, then like beyond that, yeah. you know, one percent, no. right? That family unions maybe. Yeah. <laughs> right. So um so yeah, it's just like such a lifelong activity, which I think is appealing to people. I definitely want to dive into your um, involvement with Devo and stuff like that, but I want to back up just a little bit and sure. talk about so, a little bit of your career, some of the places you've worked and, and things you've noticed through the industry or things you've learned, uh, just the progression of, of you learning. Uh, how, how'd that go? So you come out of Gunnison, you're gung-ho about mountain biking. Uh, do you just continue racing? Do you go off and race downhill? I so I don't know much about your background. Do you sure. do? Um, did you go out of the country? Did, uh, at what point did you realize this is what I'm gonna do the rest of my life? I guess. Um, I don't know. It's a that's a good question because it's hard. It's tough to say like exactly what point. But I guess like from a young age, I always found myself like in the garage tinkering with stuff, okay. and mainly bikes. So I just take my bikes apart and put them back together and usually screw them up a lot. And then I'd like go down to the bike shop and be like, hey, screw this up, <laughs> can you fix it? <laughs> and uh, so yeah, I'd like, that's kind of how I grew up. Like I'd just be riding BMX bikes and then I would like, I don't know, like I'd just switch wheels around and like take stuff apart and put it back together and yeah. try to figure it out. And I don't know why I was drawn to that, but it just was like what I would do. Yeah. Um, so that kind of got me in eventually into the bike shop situation. I would just hang out there so much. They were like, here's a broom, um, like sweep the floor, you know? And, uh, so yeah, like grew up racing in Gunny, like raced a bunch of cross country. And, um, I actually, uh, like started like raced pretty seriously when I was a junior and then as that stuff as I started to grow a little older um like graduated to a semi-pro category and then was racing professionally like towards like right when I was going into college um and so I had actually come to Durango for a couple of USA Cycling mountain bike camps with Dave Hagen and, and Chad Cheney and Rick Crawford and all those guys up at Fort Lewis when I was like 15 and so I knew instantly after coming to those camps that like I wanted to come to Durango and race bikes at Fort Lewis because like these guys, these were my people like, you know, and I didn't really have that that many people in Gunnison, like especially my age uh, that were riding and racing mountain bikes. So I came out here for school and you know, that kind of, I just wanted to like chase the racing dreams mm -hmm. and I don't know, I was like, I had like some okay cross country results, but I was never like that committed to training mm -hmm. and um, like not as committed as these guys are, but are really successful. And I don't know, I like to have a balance in my life and do a lot of other things. And I think a lot of that comes from like having to work full time most yep. of the, all the way up through high school and going into college and everything yeah. too. It's just like, bike racing isn't everything cool to me you know but it's a super fun thing to do yeah so I love doing it um but yeah so I that's kind of like the progression that led me to Durango and and with bikes involved in that too 
And then I started doing some downhill racing my last year of college. Um, and I borrowed my buddy's downhill bike, who was coaching at the time, Hakey. Um, and he let me race it like all season and at nationals. And I like totally blew up his fork and like, the, don't ever let anyone borrow your <laughs> downhill bike. Moral of the story. <laughs> um, and that, that, I just had a blast racing downhill. And uh-huh. then like, as soon as I graduated, enduro bikes were kind of coming <clears throat> around. Like trail bikes were getting good okay. at that point. And so I sold all my hardtails and bought like a Trek slash like 26 inch Sick. trail bike. And just like got super stoked on riding enduro because I was down with pedaling all day, yeah. And I just was stoked to like ride fast downhill too. And yeah. like those bikes were they blew me away because you were like, this is almost as good as a downhill bike, but it's still pedalable. Yeah, you know. So that's kind of, that kind of led me to that. Um, but yeah, as far as like bike career stuff, like. I've got like a lot of facets to my life like and I do a lot of different stuff and I've had like a an abundance of different jobs and like experiences it's been it's been kind of a saga for sure but it's been really cool I applaud you for this because it 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 shows that you're not you know the value of the dollar and that I've just met a lot of really spoiled kids and it's it's frustrating because they out and they throw their bikes and they get mad when they don't do it and then they just lose sight of kind of why they're doing it so mm-hmm. <clears throat> got a lot of respect for you man for working going to school paying your way borrowing people's bikes and then you're still doing it and uh, so that's really cool i think that that just shows a lot about your character um but anyway i don't want to go too far off topic on that uh so you, you get to this point so i think i'm assuming you kind of hit this point you get that track and then you just kind of start maybe chasing Strava segments or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Strava was out at that time, but you just start progressing slowly, slowly, working on your skills, going faster. And then you, I'm, I'm assuming there's a point you took it serious, right? Because you've, you've ran some big, you know, big mountain enduros and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. um, at what, what point did you start looking at sponsorships or maybe doing it a little more seriously, dieting? I mean, I, I don't know what kind of training yeah. you do, but uh, that's part of it, you know, because you got to be strong. You don't want to totally. get hurt. You got to yeah. hold on to the bars when you need to hold on to the bars. Yep. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> Says the peanut gallery over here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're a trainer? Oh, Diaz is giving me shit because I got a salad from Grassburger for lunch. <laughs> He's like, what are you training? <laughs> that's funny. Um, but yeah, so... I don't know, I guess like I've always taken racing like as seriously as I could, but still kept it pretty light in terms of like focusing on having fun. Cool. So like when cross country racing wasn't as much fun for me, like pretty much trail bikes came around. As soon as I got that bike, like Keith Darner started the Big Mountain Enduro series. And so it was kind of like really good timing. Just for me, like I got that bike and then he started this series and so and we were all stoked on it because it was like back then the races were really badass. Like we would do Kennebec to town, you know, and we'd race from Kennebec to Walsh Gulch and then like all the way from High Point down to Dry Fork, you know, so So, like two massive stages (laughs) and it was super rad and you have no problem like 
going out and pedaling all day to, to yeah. do that stuff. So back in those days, like those events just got super popular and like everyone that was trying to get their feet wet with enduro racing, like was come was coming to big mountain enduros so like we'd have all these guys from canada like every everyone who was anyone was pretty much coming out so wow. it was like super fun you know and we had tons of competition and it was like really good right from the get-go um so i don't know i just had like a ton of fun racing those events and that's why i just kept doing it mm -hmm. and for me like sponsorship stuff was always kind of it, it it sort of goes hand in hand with like how much energy and focus I put into actually racing. Mm -hmm. Like I sort of like some things fell into place, but I never really like, it was never my like career, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Like some people take it to that point where they're like, this is my career <clears throat> and this is what I do. And I'm going to make every, like all the yeah. pieces kind of fall into place and like make it work. Live on and the like, road, yeah, live YouTube channels, whatever you gotta do. To yeah, whatever you gotta do, exactly, to stay relevant and like be good at promoting yourself and that sort of thing. And yeah, yeah so and I'm not trying to knock it. I think that's great. For no, it, yeah, it's but it's awesome it's, yeah. for lots of people, you know. Yeah. But for me, like racing was always just something that I did for fun, yeah. and because I think at a certain point I realized like it takes so much effort to like get to that level with racing for people that and or I had to like pay the bills is what you mean yeah and I have and I was motivated in like other parts of my life too like mm. with my career and like my job stuff in school so like I didn't want to put everything like as you know on the back burner to yeah. like just be a mountain bike racer because you would have to I'd imagine yeah and and yeah it's just a big commitment to do it mm -hmm. um you know so yeah, for me, it was always just for fun, like, and it's still that way, you know, like, I just sign up for races that I want to do, and I'm gonna have fun doing, like, I just did a 60-mile gravel race in Quincy last weekend, you know, so just, so just random never stuff. Done yeah, n I've never done it before, it's kind of, I read, I read a little a bit of your event. social media post, but it sounds like you had yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, totally. And like my girlfriend Sarah, she is like big into gravel racing these days. So I was like, oh yeah, I don't have a mountain bike right now, so I'll just go out and nice. like do this gravel race and super fun. I had a great time. So yeah, like that's kind of that side of everything. And then like aside from that, like when I first when I got that trail bike, I pretty much I'd been interning with some magazines at that point, mainly Mountain Flyer magazine. Uh -huh. So I got my degree in graphic design. Nice. And so like things kind of fell into place after a year or so of me kind of just working in bike shops and like moonlighting at RGPs, making wraps uh -huh. um, for me to do some like product testing stuff for nice. Mountain Flyer. <clears throat> and so that kind of like came into my world and I did that for a couple of years and helped with the magazine and did a, some graphic design and layout and stuff like that. Um, and continued to race and do all that stuff, um, which was super awesome experience for me because I got to meet like tons and tons of people in the bike industry oh, through the magazine, you know? Um, and that's still around, right? Mountain Flyer? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. No, it's still around. Sure it yep. Brian Reapy, the editor, this gunny guy. So yep. he lives oh, in Gunnison. Cool. Yeah. So 
pretty much all my experiences, a, a lot of this stuff ties back to Gunnison in like the weirdest ways that you would wow. never guess. So Mountain Flyer, Gunnison, and then I actually had grown up working at the tune-up in Gunnison with like a handful of people that went on to do bigger and better things in the bike industry. Uh -huh. So like Ryan Palmer is an editor at Bike Magazine, yeah. worked at the tune-up back in the day. Um, Matt Phillips, editor at Bike Magazine or Bicycling Magazine, managed the shop at at the Tune Up in Gunnison for a while. He actually lives in Durango as well. Um, and uh, and Mike Casimer, editor, tech editor at Pink Bike, also worked at the shop <laughs> in Gunnison with him when he was going to school at Western. So it's super crazy. Like had lots of opportunities. I like yeah like I said this it's like it's also intertwined it's like hard to stay yeah. in the timeline but I also worked for Mavic Perfect. as sort of like a pro bono way to get to races so I'd like volunteer my way and my buddy Dan Crean who actually owns um Double Shot Cyclery in Gunnison now it's in the old tune-up location but he owns another bike shop there that's oh. in Gunnison and it's a coffee shop as well so if you're ever in Gunny, go get some coffee and do yeah, that yeah. stuff. Um, but he worked for Mavic in the service course at that time. And so he just kind of let me tag along and I would like build wheels and like sweep the floor, do whatever needed to happen, mix the Kool-Aid. Um, so and cool, uh, he would like take me, I, I'd get to go out to like Fontana and race in California and like Sea Otter like all those races and they just let me go do my race and then I come back to work and like build wheels or whatever Perfect. and then yeah I, through that I also got to go to Mount St. Anne for world champs like the last time it was there probably well, actually I'm wearing the hoodie right now <laughs> 2010 for 2009 um with those guys and build wheels for all the downhill guys and like wow. do a bunch of like go-kart racing with Danny Hart and Carl Decker and all these guys. It was super <laughs> funny. Um, <laughs> Dude, that's so sick. So yeah, and another guy that worked at the tune-up, Joe Staub, ran the Giant Factory team forever, and I think he's off doing something else with Giant now nowadays. But uh, yeah, so like crazy small world the bike industry really is, is like mm. kind of my point with that. But I yeah. also was like super fortunate to grow up around a lot of these people and just kind of meet and know and like I guess probably just have like a work ethic and attitude that like allowed me to go and do these things with these guys like they were willing to bring me along you know they're like oh well, let's like bring this little minion along because like I don't know I guess I don't know, I can't imagine I was like that much fun to hang out with, but <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, like that's kind of like a lot of the stuff that jump-started my bike industry, like career, was just being around those guys and getting really awesome opportunities and then capitalizing on them by working hard and like, you know, just keeping connections and networking and, mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Um, so, so yeah, once, uh, once I was kind of like phasing out of the magazine scenario, I plugged Chad Cheney in with okay. Reapy 
And uh, what is so it, Reapy? Brian Reapy is oh, the oh, editor of um, Mountain Flyer magazine. Okay. Yep. So he, uh, so Chad is now doing, he's still doing testing with those guys, but I actually took a job at Envy Composites, like in sales. I was like, ah, I just want to get out of Durango, like see something new, try to get like a real job for a little while and, you know, see how it goes. Yeah. I guess like that's part of the, the uh, facade that they paint for you when you go to college. It's like you should probably get a job and use your degree for whatever you need to use it for and mm -hmm. like, you know, do the whole thing like two and a half kids, a car and <laughs> garage, that kind of thing, like buying a house and all that. Yeah. So... Um, so yeah, I like went out there and took a job in sales in Ogden, Utah. Okay. So then that was like my next phase after kind of like doing a bunch of enduro racing in Colorado. And at the time, like the big mountain enduro series was changing hands too. And a lot of the races just ended up at ski resorts and they had just, they sort of became like less fun and more mm -hmm. expensive. And really so, man. yeah. And so it was like, I wasn't as into it. Cool. I didn't really care as much about like chasing the racing. Yeah. And I still did do some racing when I was out in Ogden, but, um, so yeah, I ended up taking a job in, at Envy and, uh, like one thing led to another and those guys kind of like had seen some of my skills and stuff through the magazines that I showed them and like I pretty quickly became involved with their prototype testing program and the engineers there and I was riding with those guys a lot and it was super fun like we just like a lot of the guys that were riding a lot were you know engineers and marketing we'll guys and later dude <laughs> <laughs> have a good night yeah and uh so yeah like kind of just integrated pretty well like pretty quickly at the company and just found myself doing a lot of different things and eventually a few months after i started there an opportunity came up to start working in the marketing department because um, i was interested in photography and i'd gotten my degree in graphic design yeah. and uh and i you know kind of knew a lot of the media guys from being at Mountain Flyer and yeah. all that stuff. So ended up going um, to work in the marketing department at Envy and sort of like head up a lot of the mountain bike initiatives. So like product management and uh, mountain bike marketing and athlete management and all that stuff. So kind of got like a pretty sweet taste of like the career life for sweet, like yeah. a couple of years. Um, but honestly, it was a, it was a great experience. Like I yeah. wouldn't trade it for anything, you know, going out there, moving to a, a new town that's in a city, you yeah. know, um, and yeah, just kind of like live in the office life for a little while. Yeah. Is it, is it really, uh, um, yeah, maybe I shouldn't, so, uh, did, uh, how big is MV? Is it real corporate or is that just their main headquarters? Is that... Do they have separate? Is there any other MV headquarters? So is that how, it, I don't yeah, know. they're like that. That's what it is in Ogden. Like they've got some international distributors and stuff like that. So okay. like partner businesses, basically like overseas. But and like who builds their some of their material? Um, or maybe not well, so everything manufacturing. I guess. All the wheels are made in Ogden. 
That's sick. So that was pretty cool. Like you go out there and like, you know, our office was like at the time when I started there, we were in these like funny industrial buildings and like Envy was growing so quickly that they would just keep taking over like the telemarketer (laughs) spot that was like next door. And then we'd like take over this other business that was like on the other side. And at the time, like all the manufacturing stuff was like literally on the other side of the wall from the office. Uh-huh. And so we'd be on the phone, like dealing with customers, you know, and you would like, like something would crash and burn and you could, you just hear everything that happened over there. And it was super funny. Hear someone with a grinder so, or something or. Totally. Yeah. It's like right there. <laughs> yeah. But when I started there, there's probably like, it's a pretty big at that point. It was like probably 160 people total and a lot of those are in manufacturing okay so they ran like two shifts and like two 10-hour shifts of manufacturing all day every day so there was like tons of stuff going out they'd be making like 200 rims a day kind of thing and yeah just it was a pretty sweet environment to be in because you have like all those guys that are in manufacturing everyone's like kind of integrated in the same building which like you don't really see a lot of that anymore um, with companies because like it's mainly like your headquarters, your office, and everything is even separated from like shipping and warehousing yeah. for for most companies. So it's pretty sweet just being able to like see everyone and be around and like you know they'd bring in the taco truck and like we'd we'd all have like tacos and stuff <laughs> like that. So did yeah. you call it a roach coach? A what? A roach coach. Oh, the taco truck? <laughs> That's what I've always been heard. They call him. When I was going to school down in Phoenix, everybody oh, called okay. the roach coach. Oh, yeah. Just a general I get it. Yeah. Okay. No. Not not <laughs> up there, but yeah. Tacos were actually pretty good. Probably the best Mexican food you can get in like the Salt Lake area. Taco trucks. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Um, I, I'm guessing you learned a lot working there. So this was this your first real, like you said, job, maybe some benefits, consistency, uh, did you also learn a lot about people, personalities, the way the the company hierarchies work? I mean, was there any of that, or you didn't really get? I mean, was there that kind of learning experience also that came with it? Yeah, and did you take a lot from that as well. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's definitely different working in an office environment for mm-hmm. sure. Like you know, you work at a bike shop or you work like on the road with bike companies. Like a lot of the people you meet are really similar, and they're really easy to get along yeah. with. So, you know, for the most part, it's pretty straightforward. You're just kind of hanging out with your buddies, fixing bikes, Yeah. not that hard. But yeah, I mean, you start working in an office and you're dealing with a lot of different personalities and like management styles and yeah. all that stuff. And it's, it's definitely a huge learning experience just yeah. to be in that environment and like kind of learn from people and the way that they do things because, you know, you basically take that on with you for the rest of your life. You kind of like, well, wasn't really super stoked on like how that person treated yeah. me as like a, you know, un- yeah. working underneath them. So you come a, li- a little more cynical, a little bit. Like, yeah, you just, you just keep your guard up a little more. Y- yeah, for the most part. Well, I I don't know. I think like for me, I just learned a lot about the things that like I never wanted to be like. Perfect. You know, so it's like. I don't know if you grew up with like you know you just like dealing with those kinds of personalities so you like see these these the way these people treat their 
the people that work for them mm-hmm. and then you kind of just like well I don't ever want to do that so I'm going to make sure that I don't act like that yeah. when I'm managing people and like that's it's super tricky like how to keep people motivated and like having people working underneath you yeah. um, it's, a, it's a really it's a good experience to have for sure like putting yourself in a position of power and like seeing how people react to that because Hmm. some people like definitely it goes straight to their head and like for whatever reason you know yeah you just gotta like you're like man dude take a chill pill like it's not you know we're just making bike parts over here like relax a little bit you know and um so yeah it's i would say like that's probably a a big takeaway from a lot of that is just learning like how companies work and seeing like the infrastructure of and the hierarchy of like people and places and jobs and like Mm -hmm. everything that people do and like kind of like seeing how that environment either boosts or like tarnishes the morale of the company too um it's pretty interesting for sure you know and and like a lot of that too is like I feel like there's a lot of however the company's major energy is uh-huh. like it reflects like trickles down all the way through yeah and so you can definitely see when you walk into these places like you know you, and you're there for a little while you sort of like see how the energy reciprocates through the company and like if people are sort of have like a negative attitude, like everyone's got a little bit of a negative jaded Mm -hmm. attitude and it's kind of weird. It's like the same one bad apple sort of. Yeah, totally. Yep. And then you go to other companies that have like really positive energy floating around and they make an effort to ride ride bikes a lot and, or, you know, whatever it is that like Mm -hmm. keeps people stoked and happy and, you can immediately tell the difference in the energy in that business. Like they're maybe more successful, but their employees are way happier and that sort of thing. So yeah, it is pretty interesting, like having that experience. And then, you know, like growing or working in Utah is interesting too. There's a lot of like Mormon culture there too. And uh, so like working around people that like don't drink beer (laughs) and stuff, you know, it's like, it actually wasn't as big of a deal as I thought it was going to be when I moved out there. Like yeah, yeah. everyone that I worked with that was part of the Mormon faith, they were awesome people. Yeah, like yeah, for sure. great people to be around, super positive, like really friendly. Yeah. And you know, like a lot of those guys would close down the bars before like half of our coworkers too. <laughs> so like, and you yeah. know, they'd be out there tearing up the dance floor like later than anyone who was, trying to keep up drinking beers so <laughs> that's cool yeah like it was it it wasn't it ended up not being like really a thing yeah, you know yeah exactly but which was interesting kind of just having those stigmas initially yeah yeah that's cool but yeah, yeah that's cool you got to go up there and experience all that man. totally um well let's talk about your involvement well okay so so you come down uh, so you, you, you leave Envy and uh, where do you go from there? You come down back back down to Durango? 
Yeah. Just missing home, or you just t- time to move on. Yeah. So the whole time I was in uh, in Ogden, um, I stayed in a relationship with Sarah. Okay. And she was here in Durango. Who I need to interview also because she's yeah, incredible. totally. She's awesome for <clears> sure. Yeah, if you, yeah. We sh- will definitely lock down a time. At I some read point, a, I read an article sure. someone shared the other day. Maybe it was you, but it was a, a, a in the article. It was just a, Q, a quick Q and A, and she was talking about her motive, uh, her way of looking at mountain biking. And you probably share the same view with her, but I, mm-hmm. I, it just it was absolutely amazing how she's like how do you do this and how do you ride? And she's like, well, if I feel like riding, I go ride. If I don't feel like riding, I mm-hmm. don't ride. And I think that that's, anyway, that there's some importance in that. So, yeah, but yeah, I'll, I'll get on here, get her on here. I think she'd just be great to talk to you. Yeah, um, totally. Anyway, so, so you're in a relationship with her while you're up in Utah. Yep. So uh, that was like always keeping me one foot in the door in Durango. And, Perfect. you know, I'd be traveling, like we'd meet up in Moab all the time because it's halfway and, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, like a lot of my really good friends from college are still in Durango. So, you know, coming back for their weddings and, you know, Mm -hmm. so I ended up spending a lot of time back in Durango or in between, um, while I was in Utah and I don't know, like, I think eventually I kind of figured out that like maybe the office job environment was not exactly what I was looking for long term. Um, and you know, you never really know until you try it out. Um, but so yeah, I kind of like took all the experiences and stuff that I had learned over the couple of years that I was in the office at Envy and I proposed uh, this job with them where I would be more on the product management side and like product development. So I'd basically be out here in Durango and I'm close to all all these mountain bike events. So I could go to Outer Bike and do demos or I could go to a big mountain enduro and learn from all of our athletes that were there and like get feedback or, you know, go to Portugal and test with Santa Cruz Syndicate and like we'd test new wheels, new products, and then we'd, you know, sort of like bring all that feedback back and I would be like sort of the filter between the athletes and what they want out of the bikes and the engineers who are ultimately making the product because I can sort of be a good segue yeah. between both of those communication Cause, cause styles. Like I see how they definitely don't talk the same language. Yeah, totally. And you know, and and to a certain extent like some some engineers at bike companies are not Cyclists, oh, which is totally fine, yeah, right? Yeah. Like you get you work at a carbon company. There, the engineers that are there come from aerospace, yeah. and you know they're super smart guys, but they don't necessarily know like what Rat Boy has to say about yeah. his wheels doesn't translate to Joe Engineer. Exactly. You know exactly. So, and you know, being out on the race circuit too. Like when I was at Envy, I had the opportunity to race like quite a few Enduro World Series, like in New Zealand, Canada, wow. Dude, cool. and all over the place, and just sort of like participate. But you get to hear some behind the scenes chatter from all the athletes while you're out there for seven hours grinding away. Like you hear all the stuff that they're not telling their sponsors and they're not giving the companies feedback. And you're sort of participating in all these conversations that like nobody else hears, right? It's just kind of bros hanging out, like talking about their bikes and what's working and what's not. And like, what's really a problem, but they're probably never going to say anything about it because you have like, this company is giving you this stuff. So 
they're not going to like go back to them and be like, Hey, this isn't working even though they should. So take notes if you're (laughs) listening and you want to be a valuable athlete and an asset to the brands you work with. Constructive feedback is a really good way to integrate with the companies that you're working with. That's cool. Um, but they may not like it. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think as long as, as long as everything's approached from like a constructive, like we want to learn something out of this experience and yep. you're not just complaining, Yeah. then it's all good. You know, people, I, like most companies want that because yeah. all they get is smiley faces and unicorns all the time. <laughs> it's like, oh, everything's great. People trying Thanks. to get sponsored. <laughs> yeah, right? So like, you know, if you can actually add value to the future of that product, yeah. then they're stoked because they want to hear about that. It's so cool. So like that's, it's a super important thing to learn how to do as an athlete, like giving constructive feedback. And it's not always, it's not necessarily negative, but it's always like serving a purpose. And even more, if you can come, if you can see a problem and sort of like identify potential solutions, Mm -hmm. then that's even more valuable. So you're like, here's the problem. But I also have like a couple of ideas of how we could maybe fix it. Yeah. And then these companies are like, okay, this guy gets it. Like we want to work with him. Yeah. You know, it's like at Envy, we had athletes that were basically just on the roster because they were incredible at giving feedback and they're nice. basically engineering sponsored athletes, Perfect. right? Cause they're like really good at that part of yeah. the equation. So, so we'll so, go back to, so you're talking to these guys behind the scenes doing EWSs. Yep. So just out there on the world and like, that was the thing. So we like, that was super valuable because a lot of these guys are sitting in offices and yeah. you know that they're working super hard, but you don't have that same experience unless you're out there seeing it. Mm-hmm. Right. So that stuff's not coming back. You're not getting that feedback yeah. like straight to the office in the same way that it, it's, you're getting it out there on the EWS circuit or at the yeah. big mountain enduro, wherever you're at, right? Like gravel race. So did they let you, so, let you fall into that? Position? Yeah. So that's what, okay. that's what the plan was. We were sort of like, we, I put together this proposal and we built a program around that sort of idea. And then, you know, some other things that I could also help with marketing things yeah, yeah. and, you know, just fill in like, we are a sm- small company. Like there were, you know, four of us in marketing. So it was okay. like, there's lots of stuff to do all the time, you know, whether it's like putting orders in or designing this or, yeah. you know, coming up with ads for this or whatever it is, there's always stuff to do. So what are you talking about? yeah. Okay. So we built this program like sort of around a lot of that product stuff, but then bits and pieces of marketing built in and, and that sort of stuff. And then like I was out testing with the uh, syndicate in Portugal and that was like kind of the first event after I'd moved back to Durango that we did. And then uh, Amherst Sports bought the company. So okay. Amherst Sports at the time, own, they still do, own Solomon, Arcteryx, um, Mavic. I think wow. they sold Mavic now, but um, like big, big company. Wow. So they came in and kind of like, you know, the first few weeks of, Amher sports at the helm like changed a lot of things for what I was doing like we had pretty immediate budget cuts and restraints with the marketing department and so like I was sort of uh, 
more or less like restricted in what I was able to do. And so I continued with that, like that objective for the season. And we, I did what I could to like make some things happen, but ultimately like it was underfunded and we weren't able to really do like really put the effort forward into like developing it into what it could have been. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, after that year, like they were kind of like, I got the old, uh, so what is it exactly you say you do here? (laughs) Speech or, you know, question interview. And I was like, well, I do this. And they're like, yeah, okay. We don't need that. (laughs) Year end review. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of how things went when I, and I I was already back in Durango and they were kind of like, well, if you want a job, like we've got something back in Ogden, if you want to come back to the office and. You know, so we kind of parted our ways, and That's that cool. was that. Yeah, um, That's cool. Which was, yeah, it was totally good. Oh yeah. And I'm still like super tight with a lot of those guys yeah. over there. Still, like we work together a lot on product stuff and perfect. You know, marketing and all that. I so, you're still rock, rock some of their stuff. That's yeah, good. totally. That's yeah, good. it's awesome. So yeah, that kind of like led me into like this spiraling freelance like crazy times where I was like getting a photography business started and freelance graphic design and marketing and um i was doing a bunch of moonlighting for vital mtb testing products and like just kind of filling my schedule with anything and everything that people would want to pay me to do what is that term moonlighting i never heard it uh just kind of like subbing in okay every now and then it's like product testing on at that level is like it it's unless you're like really committed to the media outlet, like, you know, just sort of got the opportunity to do a a few here and there and like travel to some media camps and that sort of thing and cover new bike launches and um, that sort of thing. So like just contract work basically here and there whenever they need it. Um, So yeah, I've got the opportunity to do that and I'm still like until like a few months ago, still doing that quite a bit. Um, yeah. Yeah, I saw I saw one of your videos you shared. Your it was with Vital. I think you were testing a Santa Cruz. Does that sound right? Yep. Yeah. And it was kind of real rocky trees, but I remember seeing a rock. You do like a a huge gap, and I know video don't do it justice, but watching the video, it's big. Do you kind of know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So we were it's like in a Squamish. step down kind of. Yeah, totally. How yeah. how big was that really? Because on video it looked pretty. So big. we uh, we rode this trail in Squamish. It's called Treasure Trail. And uh, I was testing the high tower and now the um, the new tall boy as well. So we tested both bikes out in uh-huh. Squamish. But uh, Seb, the brand manager of Santa Cruz, was out there riding with me, and he's like, "Oh, we got to go ride this trail." And so we we went and rode Treasure Trail, and the video, the POV stuff that you see from that definitely doesn't do that trail justice (laughs) that trail was super rowdy it was really really fun and like i followed seb down it he lives in whistler so he knows like he's dialed on all the northwest like rock roll steep Uh you know lots of rain and moisture like you know just stuff that we're not used to out here and moss and roots and all that kind of stuff and so yeah like we we rallied that trail together and Dude, it was gnarly. For sure. So, 
Yeah, definitely put put the pucker factor up a notch for sure. Yeah. I like I kind of got down to the bottom and I was like, man, I don't think like of all the people that I ride with in Durango, I think there's maybe like one or two people that would ever ride this trail with me. That's so sick. You know, like yeah. so that puts it into perspective. Like yeah. if you think you're gnarly here, yeah. you got to get up, get yourself up to Canada. <laughs> I, I want to talk so. about progression a little bit with you and just riding bikes. Yeah. Is there a time that you can think that, well, I guess first I'll ask you, what are your thoughts about progression on a bike? Because there, I feel like there is this, in mountain biking, I feel it's a lot of, you got to run this or that or 29er or this is going to help you or this or that. How much of it do you feel is just time on your bike? loving what you do and in your experience did you ever feel like you actually went over this hump where you're just like this is like walking to me like i've done it so much now that i can ride a bike never feel like i'm gonna crash kind of go over everything because because you do you get like this i'm not there in bikes yet but i come from a motocross background and Mm -hmm. there was a time when it just clicked to me where i'm like i can't do anything to mess up and I feel you're probably there on a bike where you just kind of like can do it without thinking a whole lot. And so what would be your advice for these kids to get to that point where they can just kind of do it without having to think a whole lot and they're just good at it? Because that that doesn't happen overnight and I think that it's, you, you don't understand that until it happens to you. I mean, does this make sense to you? Yeah, a yeah bit? totally, yeah. So I guess like what I would say is like you definitely never stop progressing because like for me, you know, if I'm spending a lot of time on my bike, like I notice subtleties about how I ride smoother and can ride sections faster. And, you know, so if I'm, if I can ride for three months straight, by the end of those three months, I have definitely gained another level of like progression in terms of you know but then you sort of lose that too yeah, okay. you kind of go backwards so you if know, you go into winter like, happens if you go into kind of like a little riding block i guess we'll call mm-hmm. it like a training block yeah like you go into this little three-month riding block yeah come out so i think like new. i think the thing is is like when you first start riding you make big gains because there's all kinds of scenarios that you can put yourself in that you've never been in before. And then once you learn how to get through that scenario, you sort of adapt to that skill. So you, that becomes part of your repertoire, you know, and as you get better and better at riding, you find less and less of those experiences, right? So Mm -hmm you maybe you suck at going like left-hand corners or something like eventually you do enough left-hand corners you're going to get pretty dang good at riding left-hand corners um so like the more you ride the less of those experiences you're going to naturally have so then you start going faster and then maybe you you kind of find like these little tiny things that you learn about how to go faster through a section because you're going faster and then maybe you like break a wheel and flat your tire and like then you're like well i gotta figure out how to go that fast through this section without doing that so like there's all these little subtleties that you that like you know at when you get to the point where i'm at like finding those scenarios 
is rare for me, you know? So like maybe once or twice a season, I mean, who knows like what, how often it actually happens, but like you will have that experience and then you sort of like make another tick in nice. your like progression, right? So you're like, all right, well now I figured that out. Um, but like my advice would be to anyone who wants to get better at riding bikes is ride as much as you can and ride all kinds of different kinds of bikes too. Awesome. Because I guarantee you that there's things that I've learned like racing cyclocross and racing road bikes and riding cross country that like anyone who just picks up a trail bike and only rides trail bikes for the foreseeable future, they'll never be in those scenarios to learn that experience. And you never sort of like get that diversity in your repertoire. So like, you know, I guarantee there's things that have happened in a cyclocross race where I've taken that learning experience and like adapted it to a scenario in an enduro race, you know, or something like that. So like, that would be my advice for sure. You know, as far as like gear goes, like bikes and stuff like that, I mean, bikes are always getting better and better, but ultimately it's the pilot, you know, like, cause I can, I could still get on, I think actually like one of my fastest times I ever clocked down Snake Charmer was on a 26 inch trail bike. So like that just goes to show that like a lot of this stuff that comes out, like, yeah, there's things that get better. And like, I definitely would not trade the bike that I have now for like a bike I rode six years ago. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's still up to the pilot you know at the end of the day to get it down the hill so you learn all these things and you know it's like all these kids that grew up like that are killing it on the racing scene right now like steven davis like you know he rode all kinds of and chris blevins like those guys rode all kinds of different bikes and they shredded them all and had all kinds of different experiences whether they're riding the skate park or the bmx track or like mountain bikes or road bikes or whatever and they like riding wheelies on all of them you know and like that those skills translate to like you know someone who's untouchable at these races because they have like figured out how to ride that situation and you know perfect learn how to adapt that to the racing that they're doing too so that's what I would say, you know, so just like ride as much as you can and ride as many different things as you can. Perfect. Love it. Um, so now you, do you help out with Diva? Coach there? Or just kind of help? I, I, unfortunately, I don't really. Yeah. Um, but you're pretty supportive. I follow you. Oh yeah, you, you, for sure. You, you're always inviting me to all the Enduros and stuff. Yeah, like, so like a big stuff. thing that like, my buddy Grady and I, we run the Skazia team okay. and like we put on the town series races. Perfect. Okay. So like that's like I only have so much time in a day um, to like to to do certain things. And I definitely I used to coach Devo like quite a bit actually. And especially like back when like Sepp and, and Steven and all those guys were like growing up, we you know, we like coached those guys a little bit. And uh but I wish I could do more of that. I just don't have like, it's tough yeah. for me to commit to a schedule like that, if that makes sense. No, yeah, um, but the, uh, you know, what we do with the Ska Zia series, like we partner with Devo on that. So like all the Devo kids can race the series for free. Oh, so cool. And so we definitely are like, you know, that's sort of like our way that we're trying to like 
give back to the community yeah. of riding. Um, and you know, we pr pr by providing a race series midweek, so all these kids, and if they want to come race, they can come out and like train and battle against each other and, and get better at riding bikes. And then, yeah. you know, ultimately like, you know, a bunch of Olympians will show up and, uh, it'll be this like whole thing, you know? So yeah. it's, uh, that's sort of like a major way that I contribute back to the community is yeah. through that. And then, you know, mentorships as well. Like a lot of these kids that are growing up, like if they want to learn how to be a better ambassador for a brand like you know I've been in the driver's seat of the marketing agent the company that's giving you the sponsorship so like mm -hmm. I can give you a perspective on what you need to do to be an athlete and yeah. like an ambassador for a brand and I can filter you into video projects or photo projects or any Perfect. of that stuff like if you want to learn about how to do that yeah. so mentor a few kids um in those areas as well perfect so um yeah and then i like help out a little bit with fort lewis cycling probably like more often with that than devo but okay. yeah so a little older age category but same thing like those guys are like on the cusp of graduating they're shredders yeah. like they want to maybe take on racing for a few years after graduating and like they want to figure out how to get to the next level with their racing um and yeah like a lot of those resources like i have available and i yeah. can make connections and do that kind of thing for kids so and then uh then you worked at san juan cycles yep and uh is that here is that above us this is uh no this is the durango cyclery okay. but um but yeah san juan cycles is up by uh bread okay. and i actually worked for tom the owner tom neb yeah. Um, before I went to Envy as well. Oh, okay, very cool. So yeah, like kind of a, like not a big part of the story that I've told so far, but like that San Juan Cycles has been a huge part of my Durango life. Very cool. Like, so, you know, holding it down on the back end, yeah. working, you know, pretty much full time for like a number of years for Tom. And, uh, you know, Tom is an awesome dude and he like talk about a dude who has like a ton of experience in town he's like hands down one of the best mechanics around so cool. and uh you know we definitely see eye to eye on yeah. quality of work and a lot of different things and we've had a lot of shared a lot of experiences through the race circuit and that sort of thing so um tom and i got along super well and uh yeah, you know, and at this point, like, I think, like, I stepped away from San Juan Cycles, like, over the winter uh -huh. um, to take on some more, like, freelance work and that sort of thing. Um, and, yeah, like, you know, Tom and I have done a lot of really cool things together, and I'm, like, stoked to have been able to work with him because he's definitely, like, a, a big part of, like, my Durango life for sure. Nice. I need so. to go in there, man. I, I, I followed him for a long time on social media, but they seem real grassroots, real kind of... Yeah, I mean, it's just Tom and, like, Kevin and then Steven, young, cool. young gun. He still, like, does a little bit of guest wrenching here and there. So, like, you know, he just, like, he runs a tight ship and it's, like, all quality controlled and, like, Perfect. yeah, you know, appointment only pretty much for awesome. the most part kind yeah. of situation. And, yeah, you know, it's what you're able to do when you build a reputation like in a career as yeah. a mechanic like that over the years like you know people seek you out because yeah. you yep. are the guy that Perfect. can do the work so
customer service. And all that yeah, too. so yeah, you should definitely pop in there sometime. Yeah, like check out a cool. shop. It's it's like tight and clean and you know and organized and snap on tools wall to wall. You know, like it's definitely <laughs> a career mechanics type shop for sure. Dude, that's sweet. So, um, and then that brings us here. Yeah, hanging out in Diaz Suspension Design, and yep, you're helping out here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I like when I was leaving San Juan Cycles. Um, I like I said, I was doing a bunch of freelance work, a bunch of video projects. Like we just actually launched a film about Payson McKelvin oh, cool. with uh, his White Rim FKT yeah. attempt. I love that. Uh, I watched it and. That was cool. Sweet. It was well produced. Yeah, it amazing. So, like, lucky enough to work with those guys. Like, I had a small, very small part in that, but the guys that produced it, Cold Collaborative, and uh, my buddy Ben, um, amazing, God, amazing dude. cinematography. Very so, great. yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, kind of did like a bunch of those freelance projects in the spring and. Um, I also was offered a job at Fox in Santa Cruz and uh, so like Sarah and I kind of spent some time over the winter like trying to figure out like if we were gonna move to California and I was gonna go back to an office job and that sort of thing and ultimately decided that like Durango is probably where we want to hold it down for a while and uh, you know it's home for us and you know we've got tons of friends here and all that so so yeah I ended up like not taking a job at Fox and continue to do some freelance work and at the same time I was doing some work for Diaz and I've been doing some work for him over the years you know just helping him out yeah. like with certain things that he needed marketing wise and uh, yeah it was kind of like just getting tired of traveling a ton for all this different work that I was piecing together. So I'd be like on the road and at home like uh, for a day and then back on the road, you know, like all the time for like three months. And so that was getting tough and I, I don't know, like I guess I have like a, a dream or a vision to like be able to ultimately provide some jobs in Durango and build something, like help build something that can you know, be a career path for people in yeah. Durango. And so like, yeah, Diaz was looking for some help and the timing was kind of good, like into July sort of when I started here. And uh, we both kind of had similar vision and like I've been riding a runt for a while and you know, he's worked on tons of my suspension stuff just cause you know, like, when you're a regular bike shop guy, like there's only so much you really dive into with suspension yeah. and the rest of it, you're just like, man, I don't have time for this. I got to like yeah. tune yeah. derailers and wash bikes and exactly. set up tubeless and all this other stuff. So like he's time. been, yeah. Going into these shops. Yeah, this, totally. This so I learned a ton of, like from him about like what he was doing and you know, he's putting out a really good product, yeah. which I think is like, you know, something I could definitely get behind. So I was like, yep, yeah, let's do it. Like, let's let's put some momentum into Diaz suspension design and like make things happen and get it out to the world and, you know, shine some light on it. Cause like it. It, to this point, he's done a really killer job of building the Durango scene and like the local market. And he's pretty well known in the region, but you know, we got to get it out there and like, take it next level and uh 
you know, really see what we can do. And ultimately, like, we both want to be in Durango and we both want to see like some more bike industry back here because we used to have perfect yeti used yep. to be here you know it's like all yep. these none of that stuff is here anymore and it's like why would you not be here we have yeah. an, an insane testing ground and like people that want to work in the bike industry want to live in a place where they can also ride bikes and have fun and you know Absolutely. when they're not working so um so yeah i think like the stars kind of aligned and i'm here now and uh that's you know that's our vision for diaz suspension design it's like taking yeah. it bigger and better and like being able to build a sustainable business in the durango area i i think with the run it is the one thing that will prevent people from having to upgrade their fork i i think you can take a fairly low-end fork and make it perform a whole lot better like your lower end lyrics that don't have like the top end dampener or whatever mm -hmm. or a fox 36 or whatever if you're you don't have the high-end factory one or mm -hmm. the elite version i think you can put a run in it and it's going to vastly increase the performance of that fork totally and 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 i could easily see the run in catalogs like worldwide cyclery mm -hmm. jensen usa stuff like that i don't know if that's your guys vision or if you want to stay direct consumer yeah. but i don't see why that's something you should not be able to just order with your extra parts or whatever you're going to order from those companies because yeah totally I mean, well and put them in bike shops too but yeah i don't know we don't have time to go there but that i think a lot of people buy parts online and yeah you know, I, I would love to see it no i think like avenues. stay tuned on that okay it's definitely that's definitely a lot of that stuff that you're saying is like part of our vision for sure perfect and i think you're totally right like i think there's a lot that you can do with certain levels of suspension components to make them better mm -hmm. and you know the high-end stuff will always have extra features that you won't ever be able to get but yeah you know if you're balling on a budget and like you know like most people are that are mountain bikers you know we're all just out here to like have fun yeah. and ride bikes and like you know you probably can't spend ten thousand dollars on every bike that you're gonna buy so yeah. you know definitely being strategic about what you spend your money on is you know you can buy a bike at a mid-level price range and have it perform every bit as good as a high-end bike you know you're, just, you're gonna sacrifice certain things but you know it's all balance right yeah. so you're yeah. like if you can make the suspension work really good and you got a good set of wheels and tires like you know everything else just does what it does you know and that's sort of like my opinion on the whole thing like get a good set of wheels and tires and yeah. dial in your suspension and yeah. you have a really good bike for three thousand yeah. dollars you know well you see um, that in the motocross world you see kids going and racing loretta lens on a stock 450 right but the one thing they have taken care of is their suspension yeah like you absolutely better bet those kids aren't gonna flat and you better bet those kids aren't gonna be getting bucked or yeah getting too much like you know their, their suspensions dialed because one thing they can do is they can ride mm -hmm. so they need their bike to act right mm -hmm. but i think the same mountain biking man if you just focus on the things that absolutely need to be done then i think yeah there's no reason why you can't ride an entry-level bike 
Well, yeah, and if you can make an improvement on a bike to make it, you can go faster with less effort, mm-hmm. and maybe like your goal isn't necessarily to go faster, but you can ride more comfortably at yeah. speed um, or whatever it is, you know, like there's room for improvement, then, you know, there's always going to be room for suspension tuning and upgrades and all that stuff. Um, and, you know, the way the bike industry is going, we're, you know, I feel like we may eventually get to the same place that the moto world is where you know the bike companies own the suspension companies yeah. i mean that might not actually be how it goes but somewhere similar where exactly. like you know you have so much suspension product going out in a year that a big manufacturer can only accommodate like so many people you know and they're building something that's going to work for a lot of people mm-hmm. and it's going to be pretty good for a lot of people but you know people are now sort of finding out that if you take that something that's pretty good for a lot of people and just make some tweaks for you as a rider then it performs like way way better and yeah we I mean we definitely see lots of people that you know come in and get their suspension tuned and they're like man I don't know why I waited so long like you know because the same thing in the moto world like a lot of guys will buy a stock 450 off the floor and yeah. take it straight to their suspension tuner yeah right away but first thing it comes off sports you have to have that yeah. you have to have that experience mm-hmm. first before you're ever going to be the guy that buys a bike and takes it straight to yeah. a tuner like you have to know how good it can be yeah. to to take it in and do that so i think we will start seeing that a lot more in mountain biking like where people are you know working with suspension tuners to dial things in because you know like thank God we've got like a ton more ladies that are into riding bikes, kids, like of yeah. all weight ranges. Like, you know, back like a few years ago, it was just a bunch of 160 pound medium sized dudes <laughs> riding bikes, you know, and now like everyone's yeah. doing it. So yeah. we're, there's just room for us to accommodate people on an individual level, which, yeah. you know, is awesome. So, nice. yeah. Well, look, man, Thank you. It was great to meet you, and thank you for sitting down doing this. Yeah, uh, no problem. I didn't mean to keep you this long, but <laughs> oh, it's all good. Man. I, I definitely, I want to, I want to catch back up with you. I'd love to have you back on the podcast again if you're cool with that. Because yeah. there's a lot of things I still want to run by you. Like, I want to talk to you about like where the industry's headed, direct to consumer stuff, um, e-bikes, uh, and then just I, I just. I got this feeling you are a pretty well-rounded person. You and your girlfriend, I think you guys have a great outlook on life. So I'd like to kind of yeah. dig into that, what kind of philosophies you believe in, what kind of morning routines you have and stuff. And totally. I, I, I kind of meant to dive into that here, but it was a great introduction to meet you and go through that. But yeah. let's 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 circle back, man. I'd love to talk some more yeah. and uh, figure out, just um, get your opinion on more stuff. Because like, the industry's changing and we can't do anything about that. Totally. But, um, yeah, no, it's my, it's been my life. It's like, you know, I my life revolves around bikes and I love it and you know, I think I'll probably always work in the bike industry. So, you know, man, I'd love to sit down again for sure. Like, yeah, just the tip of the iceberg, right? Like, it can, Perfect. there's well, always so much more we could dive into. So, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, we'll end it there and Sweet. Thanks, Chris. Take it easy. Yeah. <laughs> All right.